0: choices are the most powerful thing that we have. I think back to when I felt like I was stripped down to having absolutely nothing left. Nothing was familiar anymore. I didn't know you know who I was. I didn't trust the world anymore. But I knew, you know all I really had, I realized was I had my character and I had my choices. And I realized that those were the only two things that I needed. You know, I could, remain myself and I could make choices to become exactly who I wanted to be. And choice after choice after choice, it's been those things that have mattered so much more than the fact that a boat exploded underneath me.
1: (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening right now all around the world that most of us are not hearing nearly enough about. Yes, it is still an amazing world, and on this podcast, we'll introduce you to the people making it that way. And Best of all, we're going to dig deep into the insights that they have developed to tackle some of the most vexing problems in our world. They know how to get around setback and make opportunity out of what would seem like obstacles to most of us. Today, we're going to interview an amazing woman who will help shed a light on how we make the best hand. Out of the cards were dealt. I hope that this interview will inspire you to look beyond the momentary challenges that we have and see a landscape of possibility that you would never have noticed without Stephanie Schaefer's story and her amazing insights. Today with Stephanie, we're going to introduce you to a great young woman who's pulling back the curtain on the kind of perspectives we each can choose that will build lives of incredible possibility. We have a choice, and that's what Stephanie's story points out to the max for us. Steph is only 26, and she's already had an extraordinary life. She's been to the edge of life and almost crossed over to whatever's next. She was in a near-fatal boating accident at age 22 while on a family vacation. And the doctors told her that her injuries were consistent with the way injuries look from war. With broken bones, amputations, brain and spinal injury, her spirit was never broken. Well near and I'm sure that's what she's going to help us understand the difference those momentary choices that we have that help us find that kind of insight we need to get through those kind of challenges. So today Stephanie welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me again Dr. Linda. Well, I tell you, we, we talked to Stephanie about
1: two years ago when her life was very, very different. And so was the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. We didn't even use video at, at that point. And I tell you, I, I was just having a quick conversation with Steph before we started. You know, there were moments when Steph said things at the age of, what were you then, 24? 24, that, 24, uh, <laughs> that come out of the mouths of people who have gained a lifetime of wisdom. So, Hopefully, you can help us fast forward through some things and just help us all live better lives with the cards we've been dealt. I love I love that analogy, right?
0: Yes, I do too. I think it's you know all about choice, not what you're dealt. And so, I think the analogy is spot on for that.
1: Great. And I also want to mention, and we'll mention again near the end to remind you, that, S- that Steph has written a book called Without Any Warning casualties of a Caribbean vacation. We're going to spend a few minutes here learning about Steph's story, and then we're going to get right to a, a whole bunch of other stories about what she learned and what we can take away and use every day. So Steph, why don't you just, you know, introduce yourself better than I have, tell us just a little bit of where you are in the world, and then then help us understand what happened to you.
0: Okay, I'm Stephanie. Like you said, I we've known each other now I Dr. Linda for a few years now I feel like time has been flying by recently but I'm 26 years old. I work in a lot of different fields at the moment just figuring out you know when an opportunity feels right that's just what I've been doing and having a life that has been beautiful and just one I never imagined as a result of that so I do public speaking work I just wrote the book you mentioned and have been promoting that through mostly in the New England region right now and just doing a lot of work with that. I've done some modeling work through the past few years, writing, speaking, all, the, all these cool new paths that have been presenting themselves before me. I still live in Vermont. I've been traveling a lot, just living this new life as someone that, you know, I feel like a brand new person these years and just embracing that really fully.
1: Yeah, and you know, it would be hard to appreciate everything you just said unless you really know (laughs) when you keep referring to this new life. yeah, Share with us where you were and where you are now.
0: Yes, so those will seem more spectacular paths now when you hear where I was when I just a few years ago. So in 2018, I was a college student, 22 years old. I felt like I had my life really masked out before me and like everything had really fallen into place. No college graduation was right in sight. I had a dream internship lined up. I was living in this charming little apartment with longtime friends and I really felt like I had the next few years all lined out. And then that summer I went on a family vacation to the island of Exuma in the Bahamas and we had Two or three really perfect days there was me, my family, and a group of our friends. And Mm -hmm. we snorkeled and we kayaked and we did all of the things that you would picture on a Bahamian vacation. Mm -hmm. And then we had gone there for one reason, which sounds so funny now when I explain it because there's this tour on the island of Exuma called the Swimming Pigs of Exuma. And you go around the islands and there's this remote, deserted little island that is only inhabited by wild pigs who live by themselves, lounge on their little beach, and swim in the ocean and entertain tourists that stop by. It was why we had gone there. And so we went out that morning and we got onto a boat. I walked on with my family. I very carefully chose my seat. I remember that most clearly of all of the day, being 22 away from the New England region, I'm thinking I want to get the best suntan that I can get. So I chose my seat for that one reason, and I actually sat outside of my group a little bit. So my family was all a little bit away from me, and I was on a bench made for two, but it was just me sitting on that seat, and we took off, and our captain was shouting behind us, and right away I knew something was off because we were going very very fast and we were going up into the air and slamming back against the water it wasn't a smooth boat ride like you would picture for a professional highly marketed and promoted tour boat it just wasn't what you pictured. and I remember being kind of terrified holding on to my seat really tightly thinking about just how embarrassing it was going to be if I fell from my seat that's that was what I was worried about was what people were going to think about me when I fell onto the floor. And it was only about three minutes into our trip when we went up in the air really high one more time. And that time when we landed, the boat exploded directly beneath my seat, the seat that I had carefully chosen. I was thrown to the floor like I had been worried that I was going to. The memories sort of go pretty dark. I was somehow awake, but if you were to know how badly I was injured, we have no idea how I stayed awake that whole time. I was buried under a pile of debris and people were thrown into the ocean, people were on the deck of the boat and everybody was just really panicked. And it was actually my mom who had been thrown around and behind our boat and she hit the water. She was really badly hurt herself. But she realized that she couldn't find me. And so she's screaming, she's getting everybody's attention. And she's this five foot tall, very quiet person. And somehow she screams loud enough or over the sounds, what was going on, the wind, the ocean, everything, somehow everybody heard her and they started looking for me. And it was actually two strangers who were on a boat behind me who then ran toward the flames instead of running away from them as you would think that they would and went onto my boat and picked me up and crazy thing is that that was just my story kind of getting started.
1: (laughs) So there was another boat that had taken off from the wharf uh, just behind you and those folks yeah those folks on that boat pretty much many saw exactly what had happened yes exactly that is you know the the stranger part we're gonna get into the kindness of strangers all that mm-hmm. but okay so t- two two strangers risk their own lives get on the boat drag you off then what mm-hmm.
0: so then i am uh, floated back to shore i am yelling for my mom you know i'm very very out of it but somehow still awake and conscious and all of that so we get to shore And there isn't any ambulance. So problem number one or two or whatever you want to call that one. (laughs) But we knew there was no waiting. There was no time to wait. And so my family was applying limited first aid that they knew. Tourniquets made out of straps of life vests, things like that. And they found a parked pickup truck in the nearby parking lot. And they didn't know who it belonged to, but they tossed out all of the belongings onto the grounds. And when he came to his truck, they were like, "You don't really have a choice. <laughs> you know, you have to drive us to the hospital." And so they put me in the bed of a pickup truck. My little sister, who was 13 years old, she sat next to me, and she would not let me close my eyes and go to sleep because that was all that I wanted to do. But they knew that I wasn't going to wake up again if I did.
1: Now your they legs, had, your legs had the major blood loss. This is where they were tourniqueting, yes. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, they were tourniqueting my legs, both of them. They were very broken. My arms were both pretty bad shape as well. So we drove thirty minutes to the first hospital, and we get there, and we run into the next problem, which is that the doors were locked, and there was no doctors inside. So they're banging on the doors and they get me inside. And my family was, and our friends were really the ones that were treating me the most, and they have no medical training. And so I was treated minimally there and then airlifted to a hospital in Nassau, Bahamas, where the very first surgery was the amputation of both of my legs.
1: Just below the knee, is that correct?
0: Yes, they started just below the knee. And then I've had a few revisions, so they've gotten shorter over the years. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But like you said, that was just the beginning. Yes. Yeah. There was you had a spinal injury and a head injury and burns and your mom, your poor mom, your mom, she was such an extraordinary spirit right beside you through the whole thing.
0: Yes. So she was very, for our family, she was hurt almost you know, pretty badly compared to me, you know, she would be the next that was hurt severely. She had broken like seven bones on impact. Both of her lungs had collapsed, things like that, that she couldn't even focus on at the time. She was just trying to get updates on me and things like that. So she was with me whenever she could be. And then she was actually airlifted separate. So she, by the time she got to that second hospital, she was, told that my legs were already gone.
1: So I got goosebumps. (laughs) I'm sure many of our listeners do. You know, if if you've got somebody in your life that you love as deeply as your mom must have loved you, uh, these are unimaginable moments that, you know, you both must have been saying, oh, this has got to be a nightmare. I got to wake up soon yes yeah but you know let's fast forward just a minute to give people a level of hope about where this story goes Yes. Yeah. so there's a few things that that i have learned over the last decade of interviewing people who are changing the future for us all and i've learned that most of them have this ability to be kinder than they need to be just and that's not it's not the same as being kind. It's being kinder than the moment calls for. Like the two guys that that saw the burning ship and jumped in and grabbed you, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, take it from the beginning that when you landed in and now saw, then you got airlifted to Miami, was it?
0: To Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Take us through some moments because I mean, you've obviously started this podcast by telling us all the wonder that you're having in your life right now. Been through the kindness of one stranger after another who who went the extra mile. Take us through some of those stories.
0: I mean, I think it started right away. I think I was surrounded by the right group of people for a moment like that, and not just the friends of our family who were crucial through those beginning moments, but, you know, the strangers. I said, we learned later on that right away, one of the responses of the island, who I said there was such a minimal care at the hospital, that part is easy to focus on. But sometimes I'll forget that right away, there was this post put out by a government official, I believe it was, of the island, who said, we have a United States tourist hurt very badly here. What you can do is you can go out and donate blood. And, you know, I don't know much about it, but I saw it years later. And that was, I was really working on forgiveness at that point. And to see that and to see like, of course, I didn't know how many people showed up, but to even think that maybe one person had shown us and donated blood, like that saved my life. That was one of many things that saved my life. And I think about that was right away. And then the kindness, the doctor tried to give my mom in the moment and the nurse of telling her that news that is impossible to understand how must that. Uh, how hard that must have been for her to hear and someone who raised me my entire life to think all of a sudden you're hearing her legs are gone and she wasn't there. To know that she had a little bit of kindness while she was alone in that moment, that gives me some peace to know that then she had the same kindness given to her from the ICU nurses in Florida whom I was in the trauma ICU in a coma. And she was just the floor away also in a trauma unit because she was hurt. And usually patients on that floor aren't allowed out of their room or out of like the hall. And her nurses would make the extra effort to very carefully get her out of bed every single day so that she could go down and visit me in my room. And every time, you know, there was a code blue or something announced, they would Run into her room and they would see her shaking and they would say, like, you know, it's not her, you know, she's still alive, she's okay. And so it's the hard moments, I think, where you really, really see the goodness of people.
1: Yeah, this is, and this is all around us now and in ordinary moments in a grocery store or what have you. I mean, in our everyday lives, we have these moments of choice when we could go a little bit extra for somebody else. And that little bit extra has made such a difference in your story.
0: Yes, all of the difference.
1: Yeah, all of the difference. So, okay, so tell us some of the moments that you remember that at the time your mind seemed to go the right direction. Like you could have turned left with your way of thinking, but you turned right. And that led to a better outcome and so on and so on and so on.
0: There are so many of those moments, I think. Some of them with a little bit of help. From people you know some guidance and then I think I think it's almost like a practice you get better at it every time you know you learn to look at the bigger picture and you learn to sort of not just see what's right in front of you but you see like if I do this this is going to get better so I think it is something you you practice and you get better but at the beginning I definitely needed some help so the first one I would think of is my very first mandatory session with a psychiatrist. (laughs) I was in Boston. I was, at that point, very aware of everything that happened to me. I had dealt with my legs not only being amputated, but they weren't healing. I was living in kidney failure, and I was going through the dialysis treatments. There were Torturous, um, you know, making my hair fall out, making everything you don't want as a 22 year old girl to happen. I had just been diagnosed with a spinal cord injury, you know, a brain injury. I was doing speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and I was just angry at the world. And it was not like me. And so it might have been at the request of my mom, again, who knew I just needed a little help. And so a psychiatrist came in to see me, and it was just, Speaking aloud, I think the feeling that I had that kept it, it wasn't just my problem alone anymore. Now it was existing out in the open, and I was able to get a clearer head and think, All of this is terrible, there's no denying that. But I have to choose right now that it's either just going to be terrible, or I'm going to take this day by day and work every day to get stronger, and I'm gonna see where I can bring myself through this all. So I think that would be the first time that I had to choose. You're not gonna wallow in your self-pity. You're not gonna wallow in this. You're gonna you're gonna work every single day as hard as you possibly can. And you're gonna, you're gonna make something of this story for yourself that is beneficial for yourself and your life. So I want to
1: leap forward from that comment you just made about what every 22-year-old girl would think <laughs> was terrible. And yes. can you just tell people the adventure you were on this summer or spring with the, is it the Kardashian photo shoot?
0: Yes. So that was <laughs> a dream come true, right? A dream and everybody even thought to have for myself. I said I did a little modeling. I modeled for Kim Kardashian's Skims line, which... I got the email and I was like, you know, shocked. I was like, and then I saw the pictures and I saw They kept the pictures very natural, which I loved. They didn't do, you know, my scars weren't photoshopped. My body wasn't photoshopped. My legs, my prosthetics, the wheelchair, like they were in all the pictures. And I saw myself looking healthy and strong and like more confident than I had ever looked in my entire life. And I was like, how, like I went from that, you know, the hair falling out, the hating myself to posing for a Kim Kardashian line photo shoot. It's, I've so,
1: so, yeah. You and I talked a, a month or so ago, and you told me because I had seen my daughter is nearer your age, sent me these, were they Instagram <laughs> photos yeah. of you in this glamour situation. And tell us just a little bit about how that transpired and how it felt and how the system works in that world.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was approached by a talent agency that represents people with physical differences and disabilities. Every industry I think is getting so much more inclusive, which is beautiful and sure. how it should be. But the disability community, one of our probably our very biggest minority, hasn't been as highly represented. And so it's a big shift in that right now. And so I am very lucky that I am, you know, young and he, you know, it happens at a time where that shift is happening. So I was I signed with the agency and then it was my second shoot ever with <laughs> Kim and plans. So I was very nervous, but they they were great. I mean, they took accessibility into every consideration. They didn't just fly me out, they flew my mom out as someone to help me. They showed up with a, a wheelchair accessible van and driver to pick me up. A wheelchair accessible hotel room. And I'm thinking, oh, this must be the first time they've ever had to do this. And they are thinking of everything. And we show up to the shoot and there was three of us and we were all in wheelchairs. And it was just the most amazing experience to think we're probably the very first. I mean, we were, we were the first girls in wheelchairs used in her advertising. And it was just the coolest to share our stories with each other and to see that at one point we had all felt broken and that here we were now doing this together and we were learning from each other. And I think we were teaching a thing or two too because the people on set were, we could see it happening, them getting more comfortable with our wheelchair. You know, at first they wanted our, you know, it was, you have a caregiver for a reason and then they're moving our chairs for us and they're asking us to pose and we're showing them that, Ask us what you would like and we'll do it. You know, we were showing that we can do anything that you would like us to do. And I think that was the best part of the day.
1: I love that. I think that, that whatever the traumas and dramas of the last maybe five, ten years have brought, I think we're all getting a little bit more comfortable with those kind of awkward moments Mm -hmm. like we're crossing over that that bridge of awkwardness faster and easier with each other am i right
0: yeah i think so definitely And I
1: think that's as much on on uh, on the community that, that has the disability. And I, is this, I, let's just get this straight right off. <laughs> is there a more PC, more politically correct way to talk about folks that have amputations?
0: No, I mean, I know it's big right now. People trying to say like, disability is not a bad word. You can say that we are disabled and it's not offensive and people shouldn't feel uncomfortable, you know, using that word, I, I think. It's even taken me a big learning curve, I think, to try to learn what what are the best terms. You know, I, it was something I had never considered before. And then I was thrown into this new world and I'm, it was me learning what I liked to hear and learning that other people have different preferences. And I think it's just talk to us like we're human and, you know, you'll see, what, see our reactions. <laughs>
1: Yes. I have a, I have a really good friend. We have a very good interview with Daniel. Daniel Kish is one of the most famous blind folks in the world. He's the guy that, that sees the world with sonar. He's taught himself like a clicking sound at the world. He lost his eyes when he was a baby. And for a long time in our friendship, I would get uncomfortable when I'd say, do you see what I mean? Or, you know, I'd use sight related references just as a part of speech. Mm-hmm. And I was very awkward. I, and then I'd catch myself and feel terribly awkward and all this. <laughs> and he, it's a two-way street, this awkwardness, right? Yes. To get mm-hmm. around it. It's as much about us at least being self-aware. <laughs> yeah. And it's about the person with a disability, you know, knowing that there's no bad intention.
0: Yes. Right? That is what I go by. I don't, for me, there's no certain term, there's no certain... There's something that's really offensive to me. What's offensive to me is when uh, I'm not spoken to the same or there's, you know, a a tone of their voice or they won't, someone won't talk to me. They'll talk to the people around me. Like that is what will bother me. But the things, there's no term, I don't think. And I think what you said is exactly right. It's just, if you can tell someone's being self-aware and they're doing their best, you know, that's all that we can expect of people. I totally
1: agree. You know, I've been a dentist my whole life and my husband is also a dentist. And so I've lived with this crazy thing that I get that people say to me, if my husband and I are both at a dental meeting, let's say, they'll say, oh, are you his assistant? And (laughs) I've been living with that kind of sexism in my life since since whatever, in 90. And I used to get pretty hot about it. and. I, about t- 10 years ago, I decided to put everything through the lens of intention because we can pick up on, I believe we have antennas for bad intention. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah. And so the, 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 it was usually men, the men that did <laughs> that to me and I could tell had like some weird hang up and bad intention. Oh, I have my ways of working with them. <laughs> but. But, you know, I just relaxed into it and just people that have good intention, they will, we all are being awkward. But what I don't like in society is when we don't have conversations because we're afraid of the awkwardness. Yes. And back to your photo shoot, you you said a bunch of things to me when you were telling me the story that made me think these folks had some awkwardness, but they got through it. They, Mm -hmm. they, they just, you, you were there to do a job together and it was all about not tiptoeing around but just getting things said mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean like you said for that i mean you're on a set you've got a job so you've got pictures to get you've got a timeline i mean you've gotta just get through it and you gotta just address it i think addressing it is most important i think avoidance never does anybody any good because then the awkwardness continues you didn't learn anything So ask a few questions, even if you think they're coming off wrong, like you'll see if they did come off wrong. And even from that, you will learn something just from realizing like, oh, that came off wrong. You know, like it's all just the learning process with every uncomfortable conversation, no matter what it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're getting there. I see progress, social progress about people just being honest and open and friendly and kind. You can see kindness in somebody's awkward Moment too. And so I love that. I just wanted to circle back to that as we get through the interview. We're going to take a break and I'm going to introduce all the listeners to some wonderful things that are going on that they can have access to past this to help them meet more people just like you. So we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue with a whole bunch of insights that Steph has for us. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for Insight Innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded The Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think The future is bright we need to know what they know and at the goodness exchange you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the goodness exchange community no one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again You were right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world. And we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, so we're back. And we're talking to an amazing young woman, Stephanie Schaefer, about how we choose our perspective in some of the most difficult times in our lives. That and those choices spiral out into unbelievable landscapes of possibility that we never thought we were we would have access to. So, Stephanie, you know, there's a really important thought leader that we've interviewed here on the podcast named Dr. Suikamar Rao, R-A-O. If people want to look for that episode, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he talks about a concept called good thing, bad thing, who knows? Like having life come at us, one thing after another, after another, and really remaining, remaining steady about not labeling things good thing or bad thing. And just letting time re evolve. So tell me how that strikes you in light of your experience.
0: I mean, I I like that. I've never heard of that term that he's been talking about. So I I mean it makes me think about my whole experience over these four years. I think it would apply to a lot of moments that immediately seemed bad and ended up working out to benefit me. I mean there is a lot of loss in my story and a lot of bad things. You know, a life was lost. People went through a lot of pain that could have easily been avoided. But there's also so much good. So it's 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 hard. I think it is important not to label something, you know, not too early until you see where it actually brings you. You know, maybe in the moment it feels one way and then years later you look back and think, it was actually the opposite for you. You know, maybe it felt good and ended up being bad. Maybe it felt bad at the time and it ended up bringing you somewhere really good. So I think that would be, you know, something that applies to the sewing thing.
1: Can you think of a moment like that in your story when, when something seemed outwardly dreadful that eventually changed over time?
0: I'm here. I'm trying to think this. I think, well, the whole
1: story, you would probably- (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's what I mean. I mean, it's the whole thing, you know? Would I undo this? What happened now, if I could? I mean, I would say no for myself personally. I would undo everybody else's pain if I could. I would undo the loss. I would undo that for my my family and the other couple that was on the boat. You know, I would do that for them. But for myself, I've grown so much that- I've gained so much through this. The places I've gotten to go that have been a result of my injuries, like direct result. You know, I spend months now, you know, traveling every year, and a lot of it is a, for speaking to tell my story or to go for treatment or things like that. And I think the people I've met along the way, I wouldn't undo this for myself if I could. And that was early on, too. You know, I think about, I've told you I've had about 40, 44 surgeries maybe now. And even in those times where we were driving back and forth, my mom and I to Mass General Hospital all the time. I mean, I think about that was a result of something bad. We were there literally to have another, I was there to have another surgery. But I think about the memories that we still look back on now, the nights and the precious you know I think of time is like the most precious thing now because you really see how short and how much things can change but I think the nights that I've gotten to spend just with my mom in Boston or you know the dinners that I've had with friends out there there's so many memories that are so precious to me now that were a result of going there for surgery you know so it's it, I don't label... You're right. I don't think you label something as good or bad. You're there for something that's hard, but you're having beautiful moments in the midst of it.
1: So this is the gist of it, isn't it? Like we have this choice. You said something very interesting in your in your previous interview. I listened to that. Again, I'm going <laughs> to make sure this is in the show notes because Steph's first interview on this topic was lovely and, and you'll, you'll want to follow this one with that. You said... It is still a great world. It just depends on what you look for and surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. How does this, what you look for, how, do, how, is, how did that change?
0: Like I said, I mean, you'll learn to look further ahead, I think. And there's still, it's so much easier to focus on the bad, I think. It's harder to look for the good. Like we're explaining that, even that initial day. There's so much bad. I mean, it's an accident. It was preventable. It was it never should have happened. There was loss. There was pain. There was suffering. There was trauma. But there were strangers doing kind acts. And it took me a long I mean, a decent amount of time to be able to look that way, where it was so much easier for myself to only feel hatred and to feel anger. And It took, I think, more strength to look for reasons to find forgiveness and to see there was still so much good around me. And I think who you surround yourself with really does matter. I truly don't think, not just in that day, but throughout these years, I never, those things I listed at the beginning of this interview, many of them would not have been possible without family, friends. My local community cheering me on, pushing me toward the next good thing. I think the people you surround yourself with, their perspectives can sort of get rubbed off on you. So it's important to pay attention to how they look at things as well.
1: Yes, yes. You know, um, I had a one pound baby 25 years ago, and that's a whole story. And she lived. She's now an engineer. So that's the punchline of that. But what I recall really. From those days, the four months in the intensive care unit was the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. This is really, really important. It, you know, I think, and that's an opportunity that we have from the, from the pandemic, is that we kind of get to fold back in um, or out or stay out of some mm-hmm. ships that were leaving us less than our best selves. Yeah. There were some doctors and folks that really brought out the best in you. I remember some of those great stories
0: hmm Yeah. I mean, there were people that just believed in me and before I believed in myself. And then, you know, we've talked about this, but there, once I accepted really what had happened, I think I got my very stubborn and competitive edges back, which was crucial for me, I believe. And there were some doctors that believed in everything that I was saying and not in like a just like a go with it type way but it was like yeah if you put the work in then I believe that this will happen too and then there were other doctors that were like no this will never happen for you and that was when it came to walking which I can do now but the amount of people who told me you will never walk again I'm like first of all I don't know it that drives me a little crazy I'm like Who are you to tell someone? I mean, unless you have a scientific, like clear cut proof, it's just discouraging to tell someone very early on that something will never happen when first of all, you haven't even seen what sort of effort they might be willing to put in. But there were so many people that just, not just believed in me, but like really encouraged me and supported me and did everything that they could do. Like you said, being kinder than they even needed to be nurses who not just took care of me medically, but like we said, I went on vacation for one week, right? So we had our suitcase (laughs) and that was it. And we spent five months in the hospital. So we had, I had a nurse in Boston who would take my mom's laundry home to her house and would do her laundry for her. You know, it was those little things that helped us to get through and as a result, it was those people being kind that also really did it because they believed that there was something better waiting for us.
1: So that's another little thing that I've, I've become committed to saying over and over again is just telling people, just do what you can do. A lot of times we think we just don't go forward with anything because we, we can't make a touchdown for the person. But the woman—I'm assuming it was woman—the person who was doing your mom's laundry, <laughs> and that was such. It's, you mentioned it here, right? There was probably a thousand cool things like that, but that's the yeah. one you mentioned. Now that woman—that's doing what you can do.
0: Yes, it is. It was the little things. I mean, those are huge. You don't have to do, like you said, you don't have to do the everything. Yeah. But if you do small things, it can feel like everything to someone else. I mean. It might be everything they need in that moment.
1: In that moment. That is super, super lovely. So one of the things that that I remember we talked about that I think you even have more perspective on now after two years is this notion of random choices Mm -hmm. and how they change outcomes. Talk to me about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I am all about the power of our choices. Um, At first, it was... I was seeing them in a bad, a bad way. (laughs) You know, I was thinking if I had just, if we had just chosen a different tour time, you know, we had debated, do I go this day or do I want to go a different day? What if we had decided to go the day after and we just heard about this explosion on the news? You know, I thought about how I had chosen that seat and that's where the explosion happened. I mean, I was given... Government document that had my seat with a big circle drawn around it and labeled as the source of the explosion. So I thought that was because of my choice. I went through a phase in the hospital of uh, early on thinking, "Is this some something that I deserved because I made maybe bad choices in my past? Like, is this something that happens to me because I did something to deserve it? You know, you you go." You have all these different thoughts on choices, but I I think of them much differently now. I think choices are the most powerful thing that we have. I think back to when I felt like I was stripped down to having absolutely nothing left. Nothing was familiar anymore. I didn't know, you know who I was. I didn't trust the world anymore, but I knew all I really had, I realized, was I had my character and I had my choices. And I realized that those were the only two things that I needed. You know, I could remain myself and I could make choices to become exactly who I wanted to be. And choice after choice after choice, it's been those things that have mattered so much more than the fact that a boat exploded underneath me. (laughs) So okay
1: and that oh when I even was preparing to ask you this question I wasn't sure if you were going to get some some positive place out of it but that is the gist of it right you wouldn't have wanted your sister to sit there or your mother no Mm
0: -mm. and that was my first thought and that is how I became okay I think it was yeah it was how I healed it was how I was able to move on I you know I wrote about this in my book and it's a line that stands out as something like I took the brunt of all damage for my family, something like that. And that was how I chose to look at it was, I'm so sad for what I have lost. But what if it had been my mom? What if it had been my little sister? She has her whole entire life ahead of her. My mom holds us all together. And I thought to it, like, yes, I chose that seat, but if I had known it was gonna happen, I still would have chosen that seat. Because there's no way I would have let anyone else there i would have chosen it all over again you know just knowing what was going to happen and
1: this is where we are in this world yeah. with so many things in our complicated lives in our working lives in our relationships with family members You. it sounds like you were you were eventually able to kind of be the observer look at you look at what was going on as an outsider
0: mm-hmm. i think in a hospital when you're that broken that's what happened i mean i uh the stress that was put on my family from this was a lot <laughs> my uh, Mom's trying to take care of me while she's limping around my hotel my hotel (laughs) hospital room. My sister is in school and driving to visit every weekend with my dad who's at home taking care of her. My stepdad is going to work and driving to visit us after. And I'm not strong enough to sit up on my own yet, you know? So you lay in this hospital bed and you look around. You can't do anything else but watch other people. It's the only way you can pass time <laughs> in a when you're like that, it's all that you can do. And I think I was able to see how much people were doing for me. I was able to see the pain of others. I was able to have a lot of time <laughs> to think and gain perspective. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, one of the things you've mentioned that you've observed is that this you've already said it this could have been a story all about the loss like like the very worst thing that could ever happen to you one big tragic story but you've made it not about the loss you just chosen to to give your attention to the games
0: mm-hmm.
1: this is it like what we give our attention to expands Talk to me about stuff you're doing now that fits in that genre. Let's
0: see, I mean, the book was what I devoted myself to for two years. And that ended up being a story of healing and love and a story about my family. You know, now I'm just focusing on where I want to go who I want to become I think I ask myself that all the time I think and now I remember to check in with myself and say like do I feel good about where I'm at and if the answer is no it's like then what do I want to do you know so I think it's you learn what's important to you and you keep those closest to you
1: do you have you know as we wrap up here do you have like uh, aspirations that people can connect with like how can people further your your ability to chat? Because you give an amazing talk. I, I saw some of the earliest talks that Steph was giving that, oh, it, seriously goosebump material for the whole thing. And she was young. She was just, I think when you and I met, you were just barely 23.
0: Haven't mm-hmm.
1: I? Yeah. And and I know you've grown in your public speaking abilities since then. You know, how can people connect with your work or what you want to us? Uh, What do you want to amplify in the world, Steph? Like, what do you think you're uniquely built to to contribute now?
0: I mean, what I love about this story is the lessons it's given me. I feel like I learned so much that I couldn't have learned without the pain. You know, I always think it was like taking this really tough class (laughs) and it gave you, like, the best education. That's how I feel when I think about my story now sometimes. And I think I learned these things. I just, they've made my life so much better. And I just want to share them with as many people as possible and show that, you know, that boat exploding is the least important part of my story. It's everything else It's that which makes it relatable to everybody else too. And so I think, you know, connecting with me through social media. I mean, I think my book is, I want to get it out to as many people as possible just to spread awareness of what I've learned. That would be, you know, kind of a dream come true. It's just to keep connecting with new people.
1: All right. Good. And and people can see these lovely pictures of your modeling, um mm-hmm. your modeling expertise now. Where can they find those?
0: On my Instagram, which is where I'm most active and update most often. So that is just my name at Stephanie Schaefer. Facebook we update sometimes, which is Steph Finds New Roads. And I have an author Website and Facebook again, just my name. So, on every social and every website, it's conveniently labeled as just um, Stephanie Schaefer.
1: That's great. It's these are going to be great connections. We won't leave out anything in the show notes. you will be able to find the things she mentioned and more. I want to wrap up. You mentioned the word forgiveness a few times in this interview, and we haven't talked about that at all. I think that we're in a time here as we're coming out of the pandemic where. You know, things haven't gone our way, folks around us, maybe coworkers, maybe family members who are all struggling so hard that people have disappointed each other. There's so many things in people's lives and my patients' lives that I run into. I've had a broken leg and a broken arm, <laughs> lost a feeling in my left hand. It, I've had a heck of a two years too. I, everyone has, has a story. That's the first thing that the last two and a half years has taught me, right? Mm-hmm so tell us and so along the way there there are things that i'm going to be a lot healthier i'm going to have a healthier mind if i forgive talk to us about forgiveness as we wrap up
0: yeah i mean i'll start with one thing which is i had considered waiting to write the book i kept saying to myself you know wait until you've done something a bit more spectacular to write about i was thinking of you know something athletic something of fame something of Something I'm like something that deserves a book, but then I realized that living and healing those can be the two most spectacular things you can do. and forgiving is the strongest thing I think that you can do. so I was I'm like, I'm living a life that is true to myself. I found forgiveness for people that I once thought I never would. you know, I have healed and mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm like these are all spectacular things and they deserve a book being written about and they will be relatable to everybody. So it's just been those things for me. but I think forgiveness is a choice for yourself. It's what will set you free from anger and it's what allows you to really live the life that is best for you. and know nothing holding you back
1: because you could have had a lot of anger and right so much bitterness of uh, the way this whole thing unfolded the boat itself that's where you're where you yes. could have held a lot the boat drivers the, uh, the boat owners
0: this yes, was mistakes made that were all preventable the boat was not safe to be on and yet they were continuing tours it was on every level of their government there was a lot and then we were ignored while trying to create change. So it would never happen again. And so that required more forgiveness. You know, we talked about the beautiful moments of the story, but there's also been tough moments within a family that are just hard with that stress and trauma. So it just, it was all about us finding forgiveness daily. <laughs> for a long time.
1: Daily. Well, thanks for helping us wrap up there because th- most of the the opportunities in the world to forgive and move on, they're hurting us more than they're hurting the other person. Is that somewhere in your reasoning?
0: Yes, definitely. <laughs> if they're not going to know if we've forgiven them or not. <laughs> Only we know. And so it's not for the other person. It's for ourselves. You right. know, it doesn't if they need forgiveness Usually they don't care if they have it or not. (laughs) So you might as well just give it for yourself.
1: So good. So good. Just carry on and give your attention to what can make you, you have a better life.
0: Yes. Well,
1: Steph, thank you so much for this wonderful interview. As I've said so many times, I want you to spin right off into Stephanie's first interview with us, and you'll pick up a lot more of the stories. We tried very hard not to have the same interview twice, and they're very, very different. So have a great day and keep keep helping wherever you can. Keep doing what you can do, my dear.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. And you as well. It's always so great talking to you. All right. So
1: we hope that all the goodness and wonder and possibility that we talked about here today that you can carry through another week and your life will be a, a better and bright spot in somebody else's. Visit us at the Goodness Exchange. The Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is sponsored by and falls under the Goodness Exchange umbrella, where we're trying to make the world a better place. One idea, one kindness, one amazing piece of good news at a time. And there at the Goodness Exchange, you can start your day and end your day with people like Steph and great news stories that we're not hearing nearly enough about. It's a choice, like Steph said, (laughs) of what we give our attention to. And I hope that you'll support the Goodness Exchange and join us there to make a better world. Thank you. Have a great day.